the fathers of my two closest girlfriends of my young adult years were incredible people, men, sons, husbands, fathers. I love them so truly. The father of my late friend, Joan Kleehammer, the late Gordon Kleehammer, was a World War II veteran and had a sympathetic capacity of such joy and meaning <clears throat> that he could bring us tender teasing without any cruelty but the charm of caretaking us, his only daughter. He also had a son, the late David Kleehammer, Joan's older brother. And so he took the best care of Joan and her dearest friend, myself, and my nickname was Charlie. Charlie? Charlie, he would tease me. Ah, Charlie. And one winter, as I was away, Joan and I were great pen pals. We would be given gorgeous stationery by our grandmothers and mothers and aunts and my great aunts. And so <clears throat> we would have the most wonderful time writing letters to one another from our different two towns. She lived in a city and I lived in a small town. And then in the summer, once again, our paths would cross and we would be so delighted to see one another and go by boat across to the other side of the lake where her home or my home were. Hers on the bluff, mine on the east side of the lake. And we would commence the next year of our gorgeous friendship. Siblings, parents, trees, fireflies, crickets. The safety of our love is unparalleled and the lack of disturbance in the hearts of our fathers. The men of our father's generations, Gordon Kleehammer, William Erie George Harhin, and Edward Moynihan, my late friend Elizabeth or Liz Moynihan's father, who fought in the Pacific Rim on an aircraft carrier in World War II, they tended the capacity of their daughters beyond war. How could I ever represent being a physical daughter to my father, a spiritual daughter to Edward Moynihan and Gordon Kleehammer? So one winter, Joni wrote to me, Charlie, Daddy's discovered bees, honeybees, and he loves them and he's going to raise them. And so I told my parents who discussed how many times he probably would be stung, and but maybe not, because he was a hunter and fisherman and he was calm and capable. And, you know, Mr. Kleehammer just fell in love with beekeeping and <clears throat> up across the lower road, East Bluff Drive, he had a little garage barn, wooden barn. It wasn't very large, but he kept his tools there. He would walk up from the house and carefully cross the road. So one day, 
he said, Johnny, Charlie, come with me. Let's go take care of the bees. He had a little smoker to smoke them and calm them. And we had the most wonderful time. It's just etched in eternity within me. Honey everywhere, bees everywhere. The blessing of the sanctity and nourishment of the plants, the animals, the mountains, the seas, the air, the sun, the moon, and the hearts of these men and their daughters, including myself. And Gordon said something very interesting. Joan and I were probably 13 to 15. <clears throat> he said, you know, girls, there's an idea of a queen. There's only one queen in a hive until, until the hive needs another. And then the hive generates another queen. Queen might be dying or old or infirm, or, and this was happening in the season in which he was teaching us, or there's a need somehow in this world around us. And he turned to the trees in the barn door, and there's a need for another hive, and they're going to need a queen. And then hum, humming and fussing and smoking the little um, tools that he used. It's almost like a fireplace uh, bellows that he would use to pump the smoke to calm the bees. Not himself, he's like, I have to keep my bees calm so they're not disturbed. He was so excited that spring and summer because he had fathered as a human being safely the shepherding of a new hive somewhere out across the bluff or the lake. Two queen bees do not sting one another to death. They caretake civilization. And the space between them is of holiness and love. How shall two women live so that just as my mother bore me here to the earth and aspired that her life and mine be one yet two, of two generations yet one family, I wish this for you. Then what begins to occur is the place shepherded by men all over the world for a woman to conceive and gestate and bear an infant child safely, strongly, gently, tenderly, of love, allows the realization in the babe and the mother of the breast milk coming, or other women and men having to bring nourishment for the mother and the baby if the breast milk is not adequate. The civilization becomes a living prayer from eternity out into the future, coming to us 
so that the next breath and moment, the first born breath of that baby is safe of heaven on earth, conceived and born through that one's mother and father. Who is she? Who is he? Who are they, this newborn babe? What occurs then is rather than staying with our limitations, which are very thick right now on the earth as we compete for ever-growing sophistication of identity, rather than looking at the opacity of that, we look to the transcendence and the transparency of the light and the sound. Listen to the baby's first sound. Look at the color of their skin. Look at the hair, the tiny fingernails. Look at them nestled against the bosom of the mother. Same skin tone yet different, same texture of skin yet different, the newborn babe. The hair of the two yet one. The baby moving as an individual, yet of the substance of the mother, yet finding their way to the next breath and the next in the embrace of the mother's body and mood and state of being and life. And then the fathers, beyond weapons. Where shall this new little queen bee go? That there is a healthy hive. That quality allows us to seek the innocence and extremely tender mercy of the feminine energy. In our heart and soul, we find that much of what we experience as real is where we can't find oneness. You know, my mother hurt my feelings. She didn't like that haircut. Or, you know, she said this, it was so mean. She was so much nicer too. Or, oh, my mother loves me. It's just incredible. We, we go to something that is not quite calm and content. We go to not the undisturbed union, but to the place where our mother doesn't remember God completely, does she? What are we going to do now? And your mother, she doesn't remember having completely. Well, what are we going to do? We better, we better fight and compete with other women, you know, because it's just not safe out there. I go, of course it is. Of course it is. Your mother bore you in the great mystery within which your soul and heart can always embody virtuously heaven. 
for the sake of your mother, for the sake of the heavens itself, for the sake of yourself, for the sake of your friend, for the sake of your neighbor and the dolphins of New Zealand and the trees and the snowflakes and all of reality. And then what occurs is your path, that which is one in your heart of hearts, begins to be breathed, commenced as daily bread. Oh, I'm breathing. It's my path. And you find that the next step is born of your mother through you born of your father through you. You are going beyond them and yet of them. And if you become individuated enough to find the heart and soul and consciousness at peace, all of a sudden you realize, oh, gratitude, mother. Deepest gratitude, father that I safely take this next step, and then, and then. What occurs then is one realizes, oh, I thought my mother was supposed to know everything. I was blaming her for what she didn't know. I was blaming my father for what he didn't know, and myself, and my great aunt, and my great grandmother, and there are one thread of that map through whom you have been safely born to your path. Be noble, be virtuous, be loving. Seek that in one another and you'll always know what to do. Ask for protection Blessing, guidance, well-being in all ways. Pray for this for everyone and all beings and everything everywhere. And take the next breath and with discernment and care, go forward. Then the quality present in the flowers, which calls the bee, comes forward. And God, heaven, through all of creation, calls you forward. Come now, here. The grace, the light, the sweetness of everything, everywhere is present. And you realize you're being guided inspired, formed with a spiritual muscle into the mature individuation of your soul, heart, and life. This, this is your path, born through you of your mother, your women ancestresses, shepherded by your father, your male ancestors, and to be a gift to the stars, to the progeny of the generation, to all life, 
to all creation. When this is fulfilled, the heart is very content. There's a second aspect I would like us to add to this, <clears throat> which is a very wonderful balancing aspect of contemplation. I spoke in the last segment of this retreat of Venerable Thich Nhat Hanh, whom I cherish so completely, so comprehensively. And some of the aspects of challenge he underwent in parts of his life. When Thai was in his early 90s, he was invited back to Vietnam. I went out ahead of that journey by several years. Blaine was with me and two other people. And we went to the uh, monasteries in South Vietnam, which are um, affiliated with his, his abbot. And then Thai was asked back. He had been exiled from 1968. And then in his last decade of life he was brought back. So he went from being shunned by his abbot, scolded, you can't come into the monastery, to never seeing him again while the abbot was alive. And then in his last decade being given the monastery to care for. I bring this forward because all of us have scars, places of separation, which have broken our hearts. When they occur, we know the substance of separation. My heart is broken. My mother held me in her womb and then she birthed me and then she wouldn't give me my favorite cookie or buy my favorite color sweater when I was two. We, we hold argumentatively to the separation, probably because the union means everything to us. And that vulnerability is such a comprehensive blessing, yet tender place of such love. We have to be the hero to risk the love. So what happened with Thich Nhat Hanh is he explored opening until he could be that love. More than almost anyone I've known, I've maybe known eight to ten people who lived such paths of mastery as Thai. And the quality of his seeking was partially due to how safe he was with his mother. a rural farmer, illiterate. I think she could print two or three words. She would bake cookies, of which I've spoken many times, and she would let him have one, so he would save it and hold it and just appreciate their, their tiny home, his mother, his father, their planting of the rice and vegetables, the slow enjoyment of the cookie. So much so that he served them with tea when he would have a gathering so that people would not only meditate or pray or chant together, but they would be at his mother's table anywhere in the world. 
he chose to have a social experience of two or several hundred people sitting. Let us take tea and enjoy a cookie. And his next breath would be of his mother. Until he knew how to be even more a Buddha to be through her birthing him. I never saw him fail this practice, ever, never. And you of your mother, and I of my mother, let us pray and practice here, this winter retreat. The queen bees are beginning their honey all over the world. All of the female beings together. In the place Twilinich spoke of, the great circle of the feminine. That we might know how to let the men lead us beyond all warfare into the garden. <laughs>